Welcome to Milwaukee's Tailgate Brewers Podcast, part of the MKE Tailgate Podcast Network. I'm Steve Garshinsky. I'm joined today, as always, by JP Breen and Ryan Top. And this hot stove got, I guess, heated up pretty quick. Early. It's yeah. like compared to what the last couple winters have been, to have a top ten guy go off, you know, we weren't even into like the last week of November yet. And that was pretty wild. Unfortunately, it was a guy we didn't want to go off the board, not to not us. So no, but it's it's weird because usually it's like, oh, what are we going to fill with in November? Mm-hmm. You know, and hey, then we'll take off around Thanksgiving because it's going to be the same non-news. And I don't know, JP, are you surprised that stuff's already moving as quickly as it is? I don't know, man. Global warming. Things get a little bit hotter, a little bit <laughs> earlier and a little bit more constant. What can I tell you? It you is the, the heat. Yes, <laughs> that is there. that is the theory we're operating under. This isn't pseudoscience at all. I yeah, I, like I was like, mm, Steve's going to go on a rant here where he doesn't believe climate climate. Change. <laughs> yeah, yeah, I'm the one. <laughs> oh, yeah. No, we don't have any issues with that. So, um, hey, you can help fans find the podcast by rating interview Milwaukee's tailgate on Apple Podcasts and Spotify. We want listener questions. So follow Milwaukee's tailgate on Twitter at MKE tailgate. Email questions to milwaukees.tailgate at gmail.com or follow our Facebook page. You can also follow the three of us on Twitter. And uh, you can get all those handles on Monday morning when we send out the little announcement of the, the podcast is available instead of trying to read them all out at one time, right? Mm-hmm. It gets a little long. It does get a little bit long. I realize that people probably hear my last name and figure, screw that. Yep. <laughs> I'm not going to get close to finding that in a Twitter search. Did we ever talk about the fact that I mispronounced your last name for the first, I don't know, five, seven years that I knew you before you finally like corrected me or you didn't even correct me like i just heard it and i was like wait you just let me do that wrong the entire time yeah really again when you have a polish last name like that you just kind of let it go otherwise you're constantly like correcting people and that's not fun then you're just a jerk yeah that is definitely a thing you concern yourself with yeah i don't want to be a jerk so uh finally if you'd like to support the podcast network you can visit patreon.com slash mke tailgate our ball glove patrons uh which i don't know should we change those levels again because oh yeah because the old balls have changed old ball and glove versus new ball and glove what would it be the m and barley level i think i have one of those created if we wanted to do it yeah you do have one of those created it's been sitting in there waiting Waiting for somebody to for go some, to that we, level. I was like, well, no, we haven't made it active because we haven't found anything to like give away at that level. Yes. <laughs> if you wanted to join it, but uh, <laughs> you don't get anything extra for it. <laughs> but anyways, patrons at the ball and glove uh, level and above receive the monthly minor league extra podcast and the reporting is eligible weekly Packers preview. So check that out. Uh, Milwaukee's tailgate is sponsored by Carbon 4 Brewing and their English style malt bombs and perfectly balanced hop grenades. You know them for the great beers like Dragon Flute, Block Party, and their flagship Fantasy Factory IPA. K4 will release five barrel aged beers just for Black Friday. So that's this Friday. Mm-hmm. Go there, get in line in Kinsman Boulevard. Mm-hmm. I was going to go. I can't now. I'm going to be on a plane. Oh, that's right. Are you spoiling it? He doesn't listen. I say your brother doesn't listen to the podcast. <laughs> He's a Cubs fan. Why would he listen to this? Yeah. It would just make him angry as we gun they, on. For a while, he did. I think he did listen for a little bit because he wanted to like give Ryan shit, but then decided it wasn't he did, that big. Though, hold it on. Was, it was too much of a time commitment. He it does wasn't have, worth it. He does have coworkers who do listen, 
and sometimes we'll send stay stuff to them. So, okay, here's the deal. <laughs> if you are Travis's coworker, do not tell him that his brother is getting on a plane to come see him this weekend because that's supposed to be a surprise. He's not supposed to find out till later in the week. Yeah. So don't spoil that. No spoilers. Anyways, back to uh, K4's Black Friday. Uh, if you love dark beers, Black Friday is just for you. Canned barrel-aged beers are available to take home uh, for consumption. Brandy, BA, Silk Scorpion, Black IPA, Cabernet, BA, Lady Luck, Imperial Red, Sea Salt, Bourbon, BA, Nutella, Chocolate, Hazelnut, Stout, Bourbon, BA, Nutella, Chocolate, Hazelnut, Stout, and a special tapping of the barrel-aged Empirical Stout, Arai Whiskey, BA, Russian, Imperial Stout, with 9.1% ABV. Yeah, I'm sad that I'm probably not going to get to try that. It's too bad because that one I was really looking forward to. Well, you have to know somebody you can go there and just hang out. Yeah, I should probably be able to find somebody. Isn't your other brother around in Madison to go do it? No, he's out of town. Oh, that's what brothers are for. Stand in line for me and get me something. Well, your brother's in town-ish. Yeah, but he's not your brother, so he's not going to stand <laughs> in line for you. That's how that works. So anyways... Uh, visit the brewery on Kidsman Boulevard on Madison's east side. As always, get 20% off merch in the Carbon 4 web store with the promo code MKETailgate. Check out Carbon4.com for more information. Carbon 4, beer brilliance. Okay, so like I said, I think the big news for everybody this week, after the logo reveal. Yes. We don't want to short sell that. That was no, we're a not. big deal. It was. But we're gonna the, the biggest deal this week was Yasmani Grandal uh, signing a... Four-year deal, four-year, seventy-three million with, with the White Sox. With the White Sox, um, which good for Yasmani, he deserves it. He got his what he, basically the AAV he was looking for last year, which is why he signed with the Brewers and didn't take that Mets deal. He got the AAV he, that was so important to him, and it should be. I'm not criticizing that. And he gets to go to a team that is you know on the rise. Like he gets to go to the White Sox, who are, I think you know, should be contenders if they continue to make moves here. They should be contenders maybe as early as this year. Yeah, they have a mix of young talent and uh, the ability to go out and sign guys. To they should that be talent. able to spend, yeah. I mean, they haven't traditionally. I was kind of surprised. And they're this, also in the right division to be able to just, like, make a few moves, and that should basically catapult you into the postseason. This was the White Sox' largest free agent signing ever. $73 million was the largest. It broke the... Who do you know who it was? Who is the previous record? It goes way the hell back. It goes no. back to the mid nineties. Albert Bell. Seriously? Yep. It breaks wow. the Albert Bell record for the largest free agent. Now I'm I'm sure that like Frank Thomas got bigger contracts. But okay, he was but internally. They were extensions. Right. This was a, this was a free agent deal. Yeah. I'm sure that Paul Canerco also got a longer one too. Oh, yep. Good call. Yeah, I'm sure they've they've given out money to guys, but we're talking about free agent contracts. Like they still don't have a free agent contract as big as the Brewers gave to Lorenzo Cain. Like they're still below that point. I think Paul Canerco is still signed by the White Sox. <laughs> he's still getting like <laughs> those residual Bobby Bonilla benefits. I, th I think he's signed until he has retirement age, and then he starts collecting Social Security. <laughs> he just transitions into that. Which is a pretty good deal for him. But anyways, yeah, it was interesting to see Grandal get that deal. And um, I, I know, JP, there was a little bit of hand-wringing online because it seemed like that was a deal that the Brewers could have done. It seemed like affordable, an affordable deal for Milwaukee 
in a position of need that they then could have basically solidified for four seasons. Yeah, for sure. Uh, I, I mean, unless you listen to, um, you know, the, a certain Brewers writer for The Athletic where he said that that was something that the Brewers couldn't necessarily afford. Hey, uh, man, with, you, you got to maintain those contacts. I was going to say, it is it is funny how people who follow the game pretty like are are connected to the Brewers and are either beat writers or whatnot um, do constantly say that like the Brewers can't be aggressive in in free agency when it's not true but it's it is surprising in a sense because Grandall I think represented the the biggest upgrade at the catching position but at the same time once it went four years I'm not I'm not all that surprised that the Brewers didn't go that direction I actually think that it still could have made sense to go four years but at the same time, what the Brewers are going to be doing, as we've been saying, you know, again and again and again, is that they only want deals in which they feel like they're going to be able to come out on the top side of it. And they're not necessarily willing to invest money, even if they do have it on something that doesn't that doesn't uh, adhere to kind of the valuations that they put on a year to year basis, because, you know, and this is something that I, I put in the in our in our group DM that we have. In which, you know, in in some respect, a lot of people were saying, you know, Grandal being a four or five win player, he can basically be worth that contract that the White Sox gave him in like two years. And and I actually think that's true. I think that's extremely important to realize that the White Sox have a massive, like one of the biggest free agent bargains that you will probably see in the next couple of years. The fact that he is, even if you go with what, kind of the the standard dollars per war is at this moment which is kind of eight million they're basically paying him to be a two and a half win player and he's been a five win player for the last four years and he's going to be massive profit uh for them like hypothetically value profit but what i think what ends up kind of happening is that you know when we say that they you know they they are a lot of surplus value we don't necessarily think about the fact that the teams don't actually make that money uh they he just produces higher and so it's not like a cumulative effect in which you know because he was worth that money in the first couple of years then suddenly that makes up for the fact that hypothetically he might not be worth that money in the fourth year and what ends up happening is the brewers look at these kind of valuations and they say in each one of those years is he likely to be more valuable than we're playing or than we're paying him and if the answer to that is in the fourth year no then they don't want to do it because they're not really worried about the fact that they're going to get a great deal in the first two years or a great deal in the first three years they're worried about that fourth year and that potentially not being a good deal and And this is a trend we've seen in baseball over the past few years in general is teams wanting to do maybe more aav up front in deals and not wanting to have those fourth fifth sixth seventh years of a deal because they don't trust that that player is still going to be good then and they don't want dead money on the books at that point which you know for years we've talked about that as like a thing that baseball sort of had this like inefficiency and honestly it was a thing that helped teams like the brewers out because the brewers usually weren't the ones giving out deals that would have these massive back end uh sunk costs So they sort of, it was a way for them to keep up with these higher payroll teams. Now with that going away, they're losing an edge on that as well. So even though it seems like, oh yeah, well, more contracts are are coming in at reasonable quote unquote prices, 
that seems like it's a good thing for the Brewers. It isn't necessarily when you compare, well, now they can get those deals from big markets as well. So, uh, JP, is this also a matter of like teams changing their philosophy instead of having these, you know, boom and bust where you, you build for a window and then you go into a rebuilding phase? Are they trying to basically build teams that can win with more consistency long term? I don't. I don't necessarily think so. Uh, I mean, it could be. It, it it certainly could be if you're a bigger team like the Dodgers, in which they're showing that they potentially have the ability to do that by stockpiling talent over a longer period of time. But at the same time, I do think it just comes down to kind of signing who you think is good value in the moment and then being like, we don't want to lock that up four years down the road. We want to be able to make that decision on who we give money to four years down the road. And it's not necessarily about we want to make sure that we're competitive in four years and we're not having dead money on the books. It's much more about keeping, you know, the quote unquote, you know, monetary flexibility that you can go out and have the ability to spend if you want to. And what we've, you know, and Craig Goldstein wrote about this really well on, uh, on baseball prospectus this past year is like, if you actually look at all the teams that say they want payroll flexibility, it means that they're not going to spend. And pretty much every single year when they say they want payroll flexibility, it means that they don't spend. And, Part of that is because of the valuations of free agents and all of those things and locking up players that actually are producing to a lower end contract. You know, Evan White with the Mariners just potentially signed for nine years and he's not even in the big leagues yet. He Six years with three with three uh, uh, options in which he could basically be under under contract and under market value until he's 31. And. I don't blame him for that because basically he was going to get 1.5 million for like his first three years. And now he's like guaranteed, you know, 30 million or whatever it is. So I don't blame him for making that decision. But at the same time, it's really stupid that that's a smart decision for him. So it's I think it's much more about trying to make sure that you're in a position to be able to spend the money where you want to be able to spend it. Because in three years, you feel more confident that there is going to be a catcher out there that you want that is going to be more productive for the exact same amount of money or less than what you think Grandall is going to be there in 2023 or whatever four years from now is. And that white contract that you're talking about there, that was the first time a player who hadn't even reached AAA signed a big league contract like that. And this is a trend. I mean, it's it's heading in this direction, guys. It is we're going to see more and more of this where teams continue to lock up younger and younger players to deals. And I think it's legitimate to then ask, you know, you wonder what sort of a deal they might try to work out with Keston Hira because he would be in line for that. He certainly showed out well enough in his his first taste of the big leagues. Now, well, would he give a big discount for it? it that's, you know, between him and his agent and well, if you sign a long-term deal like that, if you're buying out all those seasons, it's going to be yeah. a discount. I was going to say, and like a couple of weeks ago, I mentioned that Hero would be the one place that I, I would expect the Brewers to to spend more money, much more than like somebody like Christian Yelich. Like Hero would make a little bit more sense there. But I think it's important to, to recognize two really quick things. Um, number one, like Scott Kingery basically did this last year. Uh, he he hadn't even I don't even think he would reach the big leagues or it was two years ago. I don't remember when Scott Kingery signed signed his deal. But you saw this with uh, the Cubs last year and uh, David Bodie like David, like he's not even a starter. And they they locked him up for what, three or four years or whatever it was. And and because basically, you know, even if he's a one win player, they basically come out ahead and they're they know that that's going to be less money. And so. 
absolutely you're seeing more and more young players sign these deals because it is 100% and and I wrote about this for baseball prospectus they're acting like venture capitalist firms because uh Evan White is potentially that deal could save them I don't if even if he is like an Eric Hosmer type player it's going to save them 100 million dollars on that deal in terms of what value they would have to go and spend on the free agent market where if you go and spend money on like Yasmani Grandal for 4 years you'd be like well maybe you know his fourth year he's only going to really be worth like 8 million dollars and we spent 17 million dollars on him so we just lost 10 million dollars in value like it's about trying to figure out what teams do not want to spend and dead money whatsoever, but they are absolutely willing to spend money when they could get absolutely nothing for it. If they could potentially get a huge, you know, hypothetical value profit down the line. Right. Like the Jonathan Singleton contract you were talking about last week or the week before. Okay. So we have a question from Mike DiMasilli. Uh He asks with Grandal leaving, does the team change philosophy and load up on defense and pitching? Or look for more run production from a new catcher and first slash third baseman? I think you are going to see them basically just continue to do what they've been doing, which is look for deals where they can get them. So I don't think it's necessarily going to change. I do think it does limit what ability they'll have to add big production at catcher because who's the, the second best catcher? Jason Castro? I mean, it's you're talking about such a dramatic step down from what Yasmani Grandal was that you're not going to be able to turn catcher into a plus position unless you want to swing a trade. And I don't know what trade chips they're going to want to use to do that. Like people have talked about the, the potential that the, the uh, White Sox actually had a pretty decent catcher in James McCann, who is, you know, an above average catcher. Well, yeah, the Brewers could potentially now trade for him, but what are you going to trade from? to make that happen and what is that going to accomplish for your overall roster position because maybe they could trade you know some guys that the white Sox really like further down in the system but probably not so you're probably taking away from the big league club so you're probably robbing peter to pay paul in that case so really they're just going to look for where they can get upgrades and catcher is probably now going to be last year the brewers had the best catching fangraphs war in baseball They'd got more war out of their catcher position than anybody because Grandal was so good and Pena was, you know, a pretty solid backup in that case. So they got a lot of production there. That's not going to be the case this year. Catcher is going to be at least something of a fall off unless something completely unforeseen happens and you shouldn't plan on that. So they're going to need to bolster things elsewhere to make up for this. I wouldn't I wouldn't be surprised if I think you know, Jason Castro is certainly somebody that I mentioned before. I think Travis Dierneau probably makes some sense, even though it sounds like the Rays are still really interested in bringing him back. Uh, I think Robinson Chirinos is probably a pretty good bet that the Brewers are interested there. Um, Interesting. What's his uh, what's his framing like? I don't have the numbers in front of me, but in general, I mean, if you would figure that the Astros are are pretty up on that that I would imagine that he is pretty solid there. But I mean, he was basically a two-win player last year. And if you look offensively, he's not all that far off. I mean, he's not going to hit for as much power as somebody like like Grandall is, but he's still going to hit, you know, 240. He's still going to take a good amount of walks. He's still going to hit, you know, 15 to 20 home runs over the course of it. Uh, he's still going to be able to handle the position uh, defensively. I don't, like I said, I don't exactly have the... Um, 
the framing numbers in front of me, but in terms of like defensive run saved and whatnot, he was still above average for the Astro last year. And he was a two and a half win player uh, in in uh, in in 2019. And so I think somebody like Chirinos is still going to make sense. I still think Castro is somebody who could potentially make sense because of his defensive attributes and the fact that he had 13 home runs and under 300 plate appearances last year. He's going to you know, strike out a crap ton. But if you're looking at somebody that could potentially serve as almost a platoon with somebody like Manny Pena, I think Jason Castro makes a lot of sense as well and is probably going to be quite cheap. Yeah, overall, Robinson Trinos is basically just slightly above league average in terms of fielding runs above average, according to baseball prospectus. Um, So, yeah, he is he is solid. He is not remarkable, which is something they have really put uh, put. Uh, stock in they've wanted guys who are really above average in terms of framing both in Grandall going back to Eric Kratz that was basically the reason he played and Manny Pena is also well above average so yeah so we have a couple uh Patreon questions uh one's from Jason Donlinger the other's from Charlie Robleski uh Jason's question is should we fear the Brewers um not being able to match the White Sox offer for Yaz uh means that they are uh penny pinching and then also Charlie's question is under the assumption that the Brewers do plan to spend the $18.5 million that they were paying Yaz, how do you spend it? So I guess first off, is this some kind of proof that the Brewers are cheap? I think JP, no. JP kind of answered this already with the length of the deal being more the issue than the yearly value of the deal. Yeah, I don't. I, there are so many opportunities to still go out and and spend the money. I don't think that the reason why it's not like they didn't have the money to go and do it. They spent it last year already and Ryan Braun's contract is going to be coming off the books and all of those things. Well, so, and I, I also think you made a good point with the teams aren't operating with the idea that sunk costs at the end of a contract is just something you live with any it, like they used to. Yeah, but, absolutely. And and it used to be the the whole idea was Early in the contract, you knew you were going to get so much value for a player that you just kind of dealt with the fact that your last two years or whatever, that you might not get the value. Um, so 100% agree with that. Um, but yeah, I still think, I don't think that, you know, they're not going to be like, well, we've got eight and a half, 18 and a half million dollars just sitting out there or whatever now that we will 100% have to allocate that elsewhere. But I do expect that they will be spending pretty heavily this offseason. Yeah, I mean, we talked about this already, but they are somewhere in the low 80s probably for payroll right now if if you were to start the season today. And last year they opened at 122 and got well, you know, into the 30s by the end of the season, I think maybe even into the 40s, depending on what how you look at it because some of this is accounting, but yeah, they're going to spend, they're going to put money into the roster. It's just they're going to do it on their terms and they have enough holes that they can kind of fill a number of different places the holes yes they <laughs> yes they can fill in a number of different places uh depending on where they find that value uh also to go back to what jason said building just, building a baseball team's like george costanza moving a frogger machine it is across the street <laughs> yeah the holes um but when Jason says in this question that the Brewers were not able to match the White Sox, I think it's important to point out they were absolutely able to. It was a question of that they didn't want to for the reasons JP talked about, that this is a decision that they're making, uh, that this wasn't the best way to spend their money and that they think they can do other things. I'm wondering, since they obviously could have done this deal, they could have given him this money had they chosen to, does this signal that they are going to take an approach of we're going to spend money, but we're going to spend it 
all across the board. It's not going to be on top-end guys. Well, and the Chirinos is a shout for somebody who isn't going to cost nearly that. Or Castro uh-huh. or yeah, yeah, whoever. I mean, right. And you could spend it on a bunch of different positions and kind of spread around your risk. And also because you're spending on players that are lower tier players, you don't have to give them as long of deals. And we've seen this work for teams that already had a, a core in place. The 2013 Boston Red Sox did this. They went out and they spent on five or six different free agents and brought in guys sort of just across the board. And it, it was really successful for them. And they won the World Series and had that, that success. And then it didn't replicate the next year, but, and that got the GM fired. But they were still able to make it work for that one year. And, you know, that is definitely something that they could be looking at here is to spread that money around as opposed to targeting big name, big ticket items that I think, you know, in fairness, that's who fans like covet and that's who yeah. fans get excited about. JP, but. what do you think this means for like bringing Pomerantz back on a multi-year deal? I don't think it has any impact whatsoever on it. Um, you don't I, think I, this is like money saved that they would say, like, we believe Pomerantz in, for three to four seasons is going to be worth, you know, every single year. He's not going to have the the dead money. No, I don't think so. I think even if they could have even if they would have signed uh, Grandall, I still think they would have had plenty of money to go in and, and do Pomerantz and with other guys left over. So I think maybe it means that, you know, Pomerantz might make more sense for the reasons that you're talking about, that he could potentially repay it here. But. I don't think I don't think the two were tied in any in any respect. I like the one thing that I would I don't think what we've seen every single year in terms of uh, free agent contracts with with the Brewers is they want to um, they want to drag it out. They want they want to make sure that their value is there. They want to wait the market out as much as possible. They want to see who falls through the cracks and who their value plays are going to be. And they want to see who they can get in really, really late. And we've seen it the last, what, two or three years that they are willing to wait and see who falls to them. And my guess is basically they and this is again, this is not with any inside information whatsoever. But my guess is they were like, oh, you know, we will give you the AAV if you want, but, we're, you know, we're going to try to wait it out and see if we can get you for three years or something like that. And then basically the White Sox were like, we'll give you what you want now. I have and a question. Brewers- oh, sorry. I have a question for you, JP. Is this so absolutely this is true. They waited out the market and they didn't make significant moves well into January the last couple of years. They, they really mostly sat out November, December. This was a situation that they played into their hands because the market didn't move. And so guys fell to them. If this early movement that we've seen in this year's market with like Will Smith and Yasmani Grandal is now hold on a harbinger of relievers have signed early. That is true. But if this is and that was the, the Will Smith is a weird situation. But still, if this market does get going faster and they are positioning themselves to wait and see what falls to them. Uh, is that a concern for you, JP, or is that just something they'll then just have to move up their timeline a little bit? It's not so much about when it happens as it is where in the market cycle it happens. Yeah, I mean, I don't think they're going to wait till January just to wait till January. Yeah, if the market moves faster, then maybe they'll wait it out and waiting it out means middle of December or something of that res- uh, of that regard. But I think the big one of the biggest things to remember that the brewers always do 
is that they have a pretty holistic idea of what they want to do in the market every single year, and especially for trades. And a lot of what they try to do, and this is something that, you know, we've kind of heard every single year, is like they're willing to potentially shop somebody. You know, like last year, it was like we're interested in, you know, Mike Moustakis, but we're maybe trying to also trade Travis Shaw. Like, can we do these tandem deals? Can you get a tandem deal like where you can make sure you get Lorenzo Kane for five years and 80 million, which then frees up your prospects that then you can go and move for somebody like Christian Yelich, where you wouldn't want to move somebody like, you know, Lewis Brinson and Monte Harrison, if you didn't have a solution at, at center field. And so, you know, there's, it's not a coincidence that those things came out like a half an hour apart from each other. Like they were dependent on each other. And I think that the Brewers are also going to still any free agent signing that they make, uh, any trade that they make, these things are going to work together. They're going to want to work these things uh, throughout the process to see what works. And that, I also think, is why the Brewers end up waiting a lot longer than other people is because they like to see what they can work together and what is a holistic picture that can come together for them to get exactly what they want. And I, my guess is that if they were like, well, you know, Yasmani Grandal is going to go off early for this amount. Well, we don't want to make, you know, we don't necessarily know what we want to do yet everywhere. And we don't know what every other team wants to do. We don't want to just go give up $20 million of our budget right now because we're not really sure what we want to do. Yeah. And, you know, as we've been talking about, there's a lot of moving parts here because they have so many different places that this can go that they keeping your options open and giving yourself a bunch of different scenarios is it is the way to handle this stuff. And we've seen it work over and over and before I jump to a conclusion that like it's not going to work this time, I would want to see it actually fail. We would need to see it fail before I would believe that it's not going to work. Yeah. So. But I mean, at the same time, like you can talk about wanting to keep your options open and wanting to do all of these things and make sure that you have the flexibility to do it. But at some point it's a lot like making it, making a decision to finally start trying to compete. At some point you have to pull the trigger. At some point you actually have to meaningfully go and do it because there's always going to be a reason to wait to see what else can happen and what other options you're going to have down the road. At some level you're going to have to, to pull. And the reason why I, I'm I think that they're only willing to pull early if they feel like they're getting a good deal and they didn't feel like they were getting a good deal with with Grandall. Okay, so we have a question uh, on Patreon from PB Brew Crew, and he asks, uh, which offseason plan would you prefer, Anthony Rendon or a package of guys including Drew Prom Pomerantz, D.D. Gregorius, and Mike Moustakis? And I think, Ryan, you kind of answered that already. Yeah, I mean, I would definitely prefer spreading around the risk, and I don't think that... Anthony Rendon is a player that, like, in I disagree. Whatever you're saying, Anthony Rendon is awesome, and I want Anthony Rendon. In the strictest sense, they can afford him. Like, he could fit into a payroll, but it just becomes so difficult if they're not going to extend their payroll up to the $170, $180 million a year range. Uh, having a guy like Rendon sitting in there chewing up $30 plus million a year for, again, probably five to seven years and those back end years are going to get tricky so that would probably scare them away too i don't think it's it's likely to happen um jp, around the JP am i crazy to want to just see yelich and rendon batting next to each other in the lineup for like three seasons at least no i don't think so it, especially if you could get rendon and then know that basically what you're going to spend your money on then is the bullpen to try to maximize what you've got going i think you could actually make a pretty good argument 
that Rendon would make more sense than getting a, a bunch of bit players across the board. Um, not to say that like Mustaka is a bit player, but you know what I mean? Like a lesser, lesser value across the board and, and less talent. The one thing too about Rendon is like, you can talk about the fact that he's going to have $30 million, but you can say right after this year, like there's no guarantee that Ryan Braun's contract is going to be on the books anymore. And suddenly you've got $21 million just becoming free. No, but it's absolutely all- true, but they also already have Lorenzo Cain's 17, 18 ish million dollars a year on the books which they already do now, and they still only have $80 million committed. Right, but then you're talking about having potentially, like, you would maybe looking at some dead time in the end phase of Kane's contract, then leading into some dead period at the end of uh, Rendon's contract. Rendon has not been the picture of perfect health in his career, and, you know. Yeah, I know. But at the same time, there is never going to be somebody for a long term deal that is perfect. There is never going to be somebody that doesn't have potential arm risk. There's not somebody that doesn't potential have the uh, downside risk of like becoming slower as they get older or somebody who doesn't have the ability that, or, you know, hasn't shown that they've gotten they've gotten injured. You're never going to be able to get a high end player if you're worried about the fact that there's something that maybe could go wrong in the future. Well, no, they'll never be able to sign a high end player as a free agent, developing them or trading for them before they became that high-end player like they did with Yelich, that's still possible. That's still something that they can do. <laughs> don't don't go around operating trying to think that you can trade for this Christian Yelich again. That's insane. Yeah, well, no, they, the more reasonable thing is to draft and develop them. They But they cannot draft and develop. If you draft and develop them, that means that, okay, then maybe we don't get another high-end all-star level talent. You know, all-star not being like a one-off all-star, you know, like in the way that... Uh, you know, Jesus or, I was going to say, or like, you know, Brian LaHare, uh, but uh, you could have. That doesn't happen. Even if you draft and develop them now, you're looking at four or five years. They don't have the pieces to go out and and trade for those guys now. And they're potentially not going to have the ability to go out and trade for somebody like that for several years unless they somehow hit on somebody that we're not expecting. And so basically what you're saying then is. Don't worry about going and getting really high end talent for, you know, because you have to draft and develop them or potentially trade for them. And that's not going to happen for four or five years. And so, therefore, you have to just kind of try to skate right now and you have to try to allocate your resources to try to develop them so you can have them in five years. Yeah, but this is nothing new. This is the the small market baseball thing that teams have been dealing with forever. And it hasn't really changed. I know, but when you're talking about a small market that can still have $50 million of payroll room this offseason, that's not really working the same way as when we were talking about small market teams that had a payroll of you know $80 million. No, it's true. They have the payroll room, but as we've talked about, this is kind of a, a double-edged sword. They have a lot of holes to fill, too. There are a lot of places on this roster. They don't really have anything settled at first base. Anthony Rendon just fills a lot of holes. I know. Regardless I, of his. I mean, he can only play. But the he thing, only plays one position, but he plays that. it really, really, really well. And, and when you're talking about having a lot of holes to fill, then you can go and not really 100% feel confident that you're filling any of them. That you can say, we're going to throw a lot of bodies at them and hope that eventually we can fill a lot of different holes by spending across the board. Or you can say... We've got some internal options already at a lot of these places that have holes. And so you can actually go and actually solve one and feel confident that you have solved one with a really high end talent. Okay, so are you saying you would rather than do the Rendon thing than sign 
what was it, Moustakis, Pomerantz, and who was the third one that he listed there? Uh, Gregorius. Gregorius. I mean, I would much rather do that, much rather do that than sign Rendon and put all your eggs in that one basket. Are, I, I, I don't think there's any scenario whatsoever in which you would sign Rendon and still not have plenty of money to go and get somebody like Pomerantz. Well, but then you wouldn't. You wouldn't upgrade shortstop. You wouldn't upgrade first base. Like you'd be man. If you had Rend- if you had point. Rendon and Pomerantz, I would that, take that over uh, adding Mustakas and Gregorius. To but that Pomerantz. wasn't that wasn't the question. Well, but no, I understand no. that. But he's if if JP is saying that you could sign Rendon and still have the money to go out and get Pomerantz on on his deal, I would rather have those two. I'd rather have two elite talents, or at least one elite talent and one guy we think could be very good, than going out and just kind of getting a mix of. I would. Very I good. would rather do that too, but that wasn't the question, and I don't think it's possible. I don't think it's realistic. Okay. Well, it is absolutely the question. It's not like it's not like PB Brucker is saying, "Well, you get Rendon and no one else." He's giving an option of saying, "Do you go for a high end talent, or do you try to spread it around?" It's a much more philosophical question than being like restricted to only you sign three players or t- one player for an off season. Yeah, I mean, because they're still going to have to do things like they probably need to add a catcher, they probably need to add a first baseman, they, you know, they need to add infield help. Though we're going to. By the to way, Brad, Brad Ford asks. He he asked, uh, "Is it more important for Milwaukee to add third baseman or catcher at this point?" Given the catching options that are out there, they probably need to try to do what they can at third base because Grandall was so far above any other option at catcher. But Dope. they're going to need to do something at catcher. But I think where they're going to need to make up a lot of that difference is probably at third base. So like Rendon? I mean, if they can swing it, I I really... I, I, <laughs> there's... No way I believe they're going to sign Anthony Rendon. Like, that, that would shock me. That's a different question. That's a different question. Not saying, do I think they are going to sign him? Because no, I do not think that they're going to sign him. But asking, do they have the capacity to do it and still have a successful offseason without, you know, just saying that it's Rendon and nobody else? They could still, there are so many different options that they can go get at at first base that are going to be waiver wire claims. There's still going to be the ability that they can go out and still get a catcher like uh, Jason Castro, probably under $5 million on a contract. They're still going to have the ability to go and still keep, you know, your your Arcia, who you still believe in at shortstop and, and Shaw, who you still believe in, has the capacity at, at third base. The idea that they cannot build something around going and getting somebody like Rendon. I don't think Rendon will want to come to Milwaukee. I don't think that they're going to want to spend it. If they didn't want to spend that money on Grendel, I don't think there's any way in hell they're going to spend that money on, on Rendon. You know what? He comes in and sees the bronze fawns, and he realizes the history of the city. Good point. I think there's a chance. No, I think so that you're saying I think, there's a chance. I think Rendon ends up going back to, to D.C. Oh, really? I, I guess I would more expect uh, Strasburg to end up back in D.C. and for Rendon to end up elsewhere. But possible. I'm, I'm thinking Rendon to Texas is my shout. Yeah, I think I think Texas needs pitching real bad. But yeah, I mean, maybe. I mean, it just sort of fits with Texas's whole thing. They Texas has said that they want to spend and that they're opening up a new ballpark. So they have that incentive. So OK, so we have a question from Beer the Deer on Twitter. Yes, well, the Brewers have been better uh, served giving Moose and Grandal multi-year deals last offseason. I know everyone loved the low risk of one-year deals, but having to fill these holes for a second year in a row is also a risk. I mean, yeah, of course it would have been nice, but a big part of why like Grandal did that deal with the Brewers was because they were willing to give him the high AAV, 
that no other team was willing to give him. And he could just hit rehit the market this year without having the free agent compensation attached to him. So it's, it's kind of comparing apples and oranges. Like, yeah, that would have been ideal in an ideal world. They would have signed him to the deal that he turned down with the Mets, but he wasn't going to take that deal from the Brewers, right? Cause he didn't take it from the Mets. So he certainly wasn't going to take it from the Brewers. So, I mean, yeah, it would have been nice, but I think the bigger question I don't think, in this one I don't is think the Moustakis one. See, I don't think Moustakis and Grandall are on the same level. They're you not. get elite talent with Grandall. You get uh, replaceable talent more with Moustakis. Uh, like you, you get can, a very useful player, but yes, but I, you're not looking at somebody who can you know change a lineup in the same way that Grandall does. No, he's a useful. If he's your third or fourth best hitter, you're doing pretty well for that. If he's your first or second best hitter, you're in a lot of trouble. Yeah. By the way, JP, I wanted to circle back to this because along with uh, Grandall being signed, the White Sox then signed uh, um, Abreu. Jose Abreu. Yep. Jose Abreu to a multi-year deal. And I know there's, again, some people were kind of upset about that signing. But as you pointed out in our, our uh, direct messages, Abreu had accepted the qualifying offer with yep. the White Sox. So this yes. wasn't a case of here's a guy who could fit with the Brewers and they just didn't go out and get him. He was already locked into the White Sox for the year. So they were really the only team that could negotiate with him at the time. Yeah, and he ended up taking less money on, you know, cuz his the amount he's going to get paid in 29 in 2020 is actually less than the uh than the qualifying offer. He put a signing bonus in there so they get to do some tax stuff with that and payroll stuff with that and they get to kind of move that around a little bit. And yeah, and then he's staying for for two more years after that. And I think that Abreu is a pretty big figure with the White Sox. I think he's he well, they is, love him as like a clubhouse guy and just everything about him. He is beloved by that franchise. Well, yes, and it's also important to recognize too that a lot of the players that they've got coming up, also coming, you know, you've also got Luis Robert. Uh, Robert uh, I don't know if it's Robert or if it's Robert. I don't know which one it is. I but think it's anyway, Robert. But they've got him coming up from Cuba and and having somebody also on the team who comes from Cuba and being able to mentor him as a young as a young coming on in and having Eloy Jimenez coming up is also going to be a big deal for them to be able to do these things and having Abreu there to be able to kind of cultivate and and be a big clubhouse presence for the, this young talent that they're relying to come in and help them take the AL Central is going to be massive. And I think that they put a lot of value in that. Yeah, it's a good shout, too. I mean, Yomankata is also from Cuba. And yep. yeah, you already said Louis uh, Robert, I think, is he's also from Cuba. So and Yasmani Grandal from Cuba. So you have a bunch of guys who are Cuban and they wanted to have Jose Bray stick around and be part of that. And he's still a pretty good player. So well, and to be fair too, like South Side of Chicago, having somebody who is a, a huge presence in their in their team is a big presence in the community is you know like if you've there there are the the community level around the the white Sox stadium and whatnot is is a lot of fun it's it's huge to go around there and there are a lot of immigrant communities around there there are a lot of you know the south side of chicago there are so many more black fans that go to baseball games there and having somebody who is an immigrant and such a big member of the community in in uh the south side of chicago and there's a huge latino community that goes to white Sox games as well um it's a it's a ton of fun there are a lot of really great places to eat right around the stadium as well um i i'll 
I've I've gone to way more games uh, when I lived in Chicago. I went to White Sox games all the time. I didn't really go up to Wrigley all that often. Uh, yeah, right screw all those fans that go to Wrigley. It looks like a damn John Hughes movie in there anyway. So I will say uh, the White Sox stadium, though, like it is it's one of the most like high pitched stadiums. Like it's really steep. And so you're walking up it. It really it's like you are on top of it looking straight down. Well, and it, wasn't that. It wasn't a new Comiskey, I always want to call it. Mm-hmm. Wasn't it built right before kind yes. of the, yeah. It the, was built right before the, uh, what is it, Camden Yards? So Cleveland, Camden, and Texas, which now, you know, you've already got the Texas Stadium being replaced. Um, but the point is, it's... They were the new generation of ballparks. This yeah. was kind of the last of the old ones, though. I think it's actually... It's more of a transitional phase. It's closer, I think, in some ways to the newer ballparks than it is the older ballparks. Sure. And but, I think they've had some renovations in there. Yeah, they have. And it's definitely not the concrete, you know, uh, donut that, like, those 60s and 70s stadiums that were built and have all been replaced by now are. Because it's not multi-use. It's not that. It was I will a say, baseball park. If you do want to, if you do ever go to a, a White Sox game, you can actually go out the north side of the stadium uh, if you are, especially in the upper deck. And and so, like, basically, they've got their huge ramps go to to be able to get out of the stadium. They end up going out the north side, especially at the top. You can get a great, great picture of the city skyline right in the background and everything on it. It's a really great shot, and it's you see a lot of people there trying to take pictures. We took pictures there and everything as well. It's a really cool. So it's a cool stadium. Yeah, I've never been to that stadium. I need to go. It's always been when the Brewers play down there. I've had something going on like the last like four or five times it's happened where I've just not been able to go. It's definitely on the list. Yeah. Uh, we do have a question from our buddies at the Reporting is Eligible podcast. Uh, they ask, when Moustakis signs elsewhere, how insufferable will Twitter be? Oh, it'll be up to 11. Because it's funny, Moustakis was in a lot of ways, more beloved. I had a lot of conversations with people on Twitter. He was more beloved than Grandall. Grandall mm. is a little bit more of a hipster mm. pick. Like I don't people, know about that. Moustakas, people get to go and they get to yell. They get to do the moose chant. And like, he's that guy. He's much more, uh, he, he became a fan favorite in a way that Yasmani did not. I've, there are people out there who thought Yasmani Grandal was bad for the Brewers. It, it's insane, but there are people that thought that. Moose was a fan favorite. Say what you want about you know the reasons for that, but Moose was a fan favorite. I think it's going to be even more insufferable than what it was after Grandal signed, which was I just mean, awful. It depends on when he signs. And it depends I mean, if he signs with, you know. Is- is the boring is the boring answer, right? I mean, if the Brewers end up going and get a bunch of business done, and then Mustak is signed somewhere else in early January, it won't be it won't be a big deal at all, right? If um, they sign Josh Donaldson first, then it's not a big deal at all. And ultimately, when when these things happen, and to, then Yelich can tell Donaldson how to hit you, uh, Darvish. Oh, good one. Yes, that's a good point. Um, because he because he was like, any help you can give, brother. <laughs> like on, uh, but one of the things that I think is important to recognize too, is like, we've done this dance as a fan base for like three years now in which everybody sits around and complains that like the brewers aren't doing anything. The brewers aren't doing anything. They're not trying to win. They're not trying to sign anyone. They're not trying to make any trades. And then it's like, you had the off season in which they went and got Yelich. 
you had the offseason last year in which everyone was talking about how nothing happened and they weren't trying to do anything. And then they went out and got Grandal and Moustakis. And so I think it's also important to recognize, too, and like I don't want to get too too much into this. But like when you start hearing about all these people that try to start, try to say like what the projected payroll is going to be and and, you know, and, and you'll see like some beat writers and whatnot say, well, they're not going to have room for these sorts of players. Uh, no, they're not going to spend like you can't expect them to spend like a big market guy. And then suddenly they went out and got Grandall and Moustakis. And then everyone was like, oh, maybe they did have some money like we've done this for two or three years. And so just because they haven't done something by like the second week of December doesn't mean anything's over. Yes, everybody needs to be patient because it is a long, long off season. It's not like the NBA and the NFL where most of the big business gets done right at the front of the window. It takes forever. We need to just be patient. We know people that are listening to this, they'll know that. So whatever. this is a very slow and patient podcast. Yeah, well, you have to be patient with us. We're, we we're, require the patience. We're maybe a step above NPR. <laughs> I think barely. I think the, the the language maybe is the only thing that separates it. Yeah. Otherwise, we could be giving out cooking recipes. We could do sweaty balls jokes, too. Well, I was trying to avoid overtly saying that. But <laughs> anyways, uh, I guess we can get into a little bit of the other big announcement for the Brewers this week. Uh, they unveiled all of the new logos for 2020. And it was what everybody had kind of wanted for a long time. Well, and everybody knew it was coming. This wasn't exactly the best kept secret in the world. Let's be honest. <laughs> no. And we had talked about this before, you and I, Ryan about them bringing back the ball and glove. And I said, it's going to happen. Mm -hmm. You poo-pooed it. I did poo-poo. Because you are a poo-pooer. I poo-pooed. Um, and I'm surprised it, it was a year or two later than I thought it was going to be. Well, this let's be honest. This is happening because of the 50th anniversary. Like That's why they did this when they did this. When, yes, when that happened, I'm like, okay, that makes sense. But I thought it was going to happen a couple years ago. I thought when they kind of had started to make the... Um, well, the players In were picking to be in the a, uniforms. Like, yeah. The players were picking the bowling glove uniforms on a regular basis because the starter got to pick the uniforms. Yeah, it is crazy. I mean, it was basically the main logo last season. Right. They were picking it themselves. And so the thing that I always and the reason I poo pooed and I did poo poo. The reason for that was I always thought that like having it be the second logo would allow them to sell like you're so crass the merchandise you're so cynical. of both. But it's so cynical. I'm not saying this is right. I'm saying that this is what I thought they were going to do. What was interesting about this was when they unveiled the ball and glove logo, they also unveiled a bunch of a new barrel man, a new sleeker updated barrel man. They, they, that uh, ball logo that is going to go on like arm patches and, you know. Are you getting that tattoo? JP, you tattoo. You got to get that, right? The ball with the. Uh, He's a millennial. They all get tattoos. That's what they do. Yeah. I hate to disappoint you on that one, brother. <laughs> you could build out. You start with that, and then you can kind of build the ball and glove around it, and then you can do whatever the the larger. I don't know. They, you know, they they went a little too far with like breaking down and explaining everything. <laughs> do you remember? Because they had like, you know, it was on Twitter. You know, they showed like quadrants of what each thing meant, why they picked type fonts, and all that kind of stuff. And it kind of spoiled the fun. Remember, like the whole. Oh my God! Did you realize the ball and glove is actually an M and B? Right. It took me until I was well past like ten or twelve years old to know that. that but was instead, the case. they like basically just you know do all of that online. Like the the color is picked because of uh, throwback. It, it was like the outer ring color is a lighter yellow for the original um, Brewers in 1970, and the font is a throwback to the the barrel man. And I'm like, I was like, this is. 
But this has actually become like a huge thing for especially soccer crests that have been coming out for MLS is that every single team that comes out with something has a really elaborate reason for absolutely everything that is included in it. And I think that it tries they try to like I it does a little bit ruin the fun. But at the same time, I think it also does get people to like want to buy it because they feel like it has meaning. Right, and there's an emotional investment to it, and that's what these are all trying to do is they're trying to create an emotional attachment but that's my an thing. emotional connection. Y- you bring the ball and glove logo back. You really don't need a lot of explanation for it. No, it's I mean, like one of the it's one of the coolest logos that is out there, and they're not bringing it back. It's been they've been using it like repeatedly over as the a years. primary logo because they had made an announcement it was either last season or two years ago. The primary logo went from the script brewers and the circle mm-hmm. to the uh, Barley M. The Barley M, yeah. So, I mean, they've made adjustments along the way. Yes, it doesn't seem very major, but they do this occasionally. But do you think that they basically just waited and, you know, they for however long they had always planned to bring it back for the 50th anniversary? Yeah, I think once they said 50th anniversary, I'm like, okay, that's why they waited till this season to do it. They've they've been holding on to this for at least it's, a year or two, probably. Oh, no, no, no. I, didn't somebody say it was like at least five years in the making? Like, they knew they were going to do this a while ago. Yeah, and that makes sense, right? Because I, I had mentioned a while ago, especially once teams end up going into a pretty deep rebuild, unless you're, you know, a, a really high-end team like the, the Cubs or the Yankees or the, or the Red Sox or whatever. But if you're a younger team that has had multiple different... Uh, logos and uniforms and different things like almost every single time you see a team go into a deep rebuild they rebrand and they bring out either a new logo or they go back to an old one it you know and you see what happening right now with the Padres right I was gonna say the Padres are going back to the Browns they're trying to like rebrand it I would imagine you'll also see the Marlins do it um, as well and the Rays have kind of started to do it a little bit at times and I think that you do see are they gonna bring back the devil like I, the devil rays were a cool, were a cool thing, but no, they won't. Um, I think I was expecting this to happen three or four years ago, but then once, yeah, once they said it was the 50th anniversary, I was like, Oh got it. That's why we waited. So, uh, we do have a, a Patreon question from Adam post, uh, of the newly re- released uniforms, which will you be buying first? Okay. So a couple things. One thing I did want to point out that there is to one of those uniforms, I think it's the one people have talked about as the minor league looking one. There's definitely a Seattle Pilots feel to it. Like, if you look at the old Seattle Pilots uniforms and logos, it definitely has kind of that feel to it. Um, my thing is, now that there should be a bunch of merch around for it, like cool, good-looking merch for it, the Barrel Man. Like, that's... I love the Barrel Man. So, that one will be where I'm headed for, is anything with a Barrel Man on it. Ryan, with take my money. Barrel, barrel Man t-shirt and a Barrel Man in your hand when you're walking through Miller Park? Yep. Yep. Exactly. And me, a physical barrel man. So, yes. I was avoiding that part of it. No, I get I to make let that you joke. Go you, don't. Yeah. you don't. I get to make it. JP, did you did you have a favorite in that? Because they had the whole like ball and glove in the circle with the Milwaukee Brewers, or they had just a regular ball and glove, or the, the ball with the barley. Yeah, I mean, I actually think the... I, I liked the away jersey uh, more, like the the darker blue one with, with the Milwaukee and kind of the... I don't know what kind of font you would call it. it I think of it as more of like a, a cursive font, but it's script. it's not the script Milwaukee. There have been people that have been pushing to get that back on the uniforms for a while. I think they've already done it though. They had been kind of toying with that a little. I bit. like the solid away uniforms. That's a, a callback to the early '90s when they had the uh, solid blues tops that they played with. 
Okay. Some yeah. of those late Yount teams. But I actually if uh, I liked like non uh non jersey wise. Um I've actually liked some of the logos that have come out that have either just had the I was surprised how much I like just like the ball, like not the ball and the glove, but actually just some of the logos or, and some of the the gear that is just, you know, like either a, it's a sweatshirt or a polo or whatever. And just having the ball on it actually looks really nice. And, and you and can maybe, tell it's Brewers because it's still got the little barley as the seams. Oh, for sure. For sure. And maybe that just, you know, means I'm becoming middle aged. And when I'm like, well, it's kind of nice up there in the corner, like it's not, it's not overwhelming. Oh, right? you know, it's subtle. It's very Midwestern. It's yeah. subtle. Yep. It doesn't jump out at you. It's Absolutely. no, it's a clean look, and that's you know, people like that. Well, I was gonna say it means that we're old, which is fine. We are. I like it yeah. on my polos to wear to work. I also oh, listen to like acute acoustic uh, coffee house music. Yeah, oh boy. <laughs> when are you gonna play Wonderwall? Right? <laughs> Isn't that every coffee house? Yeah, I think it is. You ever notice that? By law. Whenever I some, do- whenever some idiot sitting there strumming his guitar in a coffee house, just wait. It, within three songs, he'll play Wonderwall. I, oh, I guarantee just, it. I pictured you in the like working on your laptop in the back with your headphones on, just working away, sipping a cappuccino, and then all of a sudden taking your headphones off and being like, "When are you going to play Wonderwall?" <laughs> but that's the thing—you don't have to ask. It'll just happen. It'll happen. It'll be and, like Jesus Christ, and they'll be like, "Yeah, again, learn be, a new song." They'll be like, "Yeah, you missed it. It was five minutes before you came in the door." <laughs> so are we well, going to talk about the Rule Five stuff? Are we going to do? I was going to say, but. That's why uh, that's why Z104 used to play like the same like seven songs on repeat, because if you got in your car and you wanted to hear that one song, you had to have it. Well, that's rotation. top 40 radio just generally. That's- well, Wonderwall is a top 40 radio of coffeehouse idiots <laughs> playing their guitar. OK, you want to talk about the rule five draft? Well, we got to talk about and that in the trade because they made a trade. So okay. let's do that. What do you want to do first? OK, so we got the uh, deadline to protect players for the rule five draft. Corey Ray. Corey Ray was protected. Protected. Yeah, JP and I did an extended thing on this on the minor league extra. So those of you who heard that know how incredibly wrong we were because we both thought they were going to protect like a bunch of guys. Not that they'd necessarily make it through all the winter, but they protected two players, one of whom we did not pick at all. Neither one of us even mentioned him as a potential possibility. That would be JP uh, Farisian. Was that correct? I would say, to be fair, I also said that there weren't very many players that I wanted to keep, but that they had the room to keep them. I'd said I didn't really care if they kept a lot of these players, and I didn't think it was going to matter. But the legitimate surprise was that they didn't keep Zach Brown. Like, that was legitimately... I literally, we literally argued about that for like 15 minutes on the podcast in which I said that I didn't care if they kept him or not. And I didn't think that they would. And then you said that they, wait, no, no. I thought you said they would keep him, but you didn't care if they did. I eventually said that they probably have room for it and he won't last until spring training, but like if they keep him, that's fine. But no, I didn't think that they needed to. Yeah. I mean, the thing is he will almost certainly be taken by somebody. The question is whether or not they keep him, but somebody's probably going to take him because he did he does have a full season in AAA and a lot of the guys who don't get protected are guys who haven't even made it to AAA yet. Some of them haven't even made it to like double A yet. So the fact that he has a season in AAA and it was a very undistinguished disappointing season in AAA, but he, it was still there and teams are looking for pitching depth wherever they can get it, right? So chances are good I think Zach Brown is going to be plucked by somebody. Uh they must have felt that it was just you know, that the upside wasn't there and that he, they weren't likely to regret having let him go. 
So he was pluckable. He was pluckable. <laughs> well, I was gonna say, like it was it was what it was what I talked about, right? That the, the basically that the, that the only guy that they really had on the roster that we thought that there was a, a conceivable way in which we felt like they could potentially regret having lost them was Corey Ray. And I don't think that I don't think that Corey Ray has a high chance of hitting, but at the same time, you know, like I do get it. Uh, I actually thought that they were going to keep Aaron Wilkerson just because he had actually shown that he could have some big league experience and he'd be somebody that they could kind of shuttle back and forth quite a bit. Um, I think that there's a pretty good shot that he gets taken. I, I think that he's shown more than Zach Brown has shown in terms of being able to stick on a team that's rebuilding and needs quite a bit of time. Or if you need to, somebody who can eat innings, um, his DR, like, I know that minor league stats are kind of whatever, but like, if you look at AAA and you look at dealing with this new ball and dealing with all of these sorts of things, Aaron Wilkerson had the best DRA of any pitcher in AAA last year who qualified. It was under two and a half. Like he was really good. So we have a question from Jay Google. He asks, uh, do you see the Brewers taking a chance on a rule five guy? Yeah, I mean, I think that there's a very good chance that they'll select one. Whether or not that guy will even, you know, make it out of spring training with them is well to be determined. But they have some space to play with on the roster. And it could be somebody that they they pick and then decide not to even carry through the entire winter on their 40 man and just let them go back to the team. That happens all the time too, depending on what they add out there. Um, I mean, I think there's a decent chance they take a shot on someone if that's somebody they like, but they do pick fairly late. So they will be picking behind where most of the good players go. I say the one thing that we talked a little bit about this on the minor league pod. And I, we actually talked about this quite a bit on the baseball perspectives podcast that I do is that having the 26 roster spot gives you the ability to float somebody for quite a while. If you wanted to take somebody because you like their long-term upside, or you, you think that they have a chance to stick and you don't have to use them as much um, that you might see more players taken in the rule five draft than normal, because you've got an extra spot that you can basically try to float. Like if you think about what the Brewers tried to do with Wei Chung Wong, like having a 26 man on the roster would have made it so much easier for them to try to just like float that all year and not even have to play him. Uh, yeah. There's a, more flexibility. Yeah, especially on the position player side, because teams have already shown if if the new rule that comes into place mandates that you carry 13 position players and 13 pitchers, which I think is probably where it's going to head. If that's what they do, there's a really good chance that that 13th roster spot for position players, teams haven't been carrying 13 position players for a very long time now, especially in the AL. Teams just haven't carried that many guys. So they've shown that they can get by without doing that. So I'm, I wouldn't be surprised to see more and more teams try to carry a position player who in the past wouldn't have been worth their time to to try to float them through the season. Now they can do it just because they have that like bonus roster spot, which isn't the point of that spot. But I wouldn't be surprised if it ended up working out that way, especially for rebuilding teams. It's so weird. The number of rules MLBs impose just to not have as many pitchers and force them to throw more innings. Because They're, one of the two would have been fine if you either mandated the number of players, pitchers versus position players, or the face three batters rule. Well, we had a question about that too. Do we? Yeah, about the 
and especially oh, because yeah, it's coming yeah, up. The, the, the Claudio one. We'll get to that. But I'm just saying, it's interesting that like they've so desperately wanted to like eliminate that part of the game. They that they've trying. created multiple rules that seem to be like overlapping. What's well, the John Smoltz effect, right? Like this is you know well it is because that's all he spends all his time on national broadcast complaining about is starters don't go long enough. You're using too many relievers. There's too many you know blah 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 blah. His his whole thing with he wants you know guys like him you know guys who would take the ball and go eight innings, you know. I remember when he just went an inning. Right, and that's that is the funny part of all that. So yeah, but they are capitulating to that sort of thing, and I you know there is some value to it. I I guess there is some bullpenning maybe isn't the game in its ideal form, but you know what. Things change. You know Things what? Evolve. They bitched about Sparky Anderson in the 70s. We already went through this. Yeah, they did bitch about Sparky Anderson. That's in the like 70s. literally what they complained about the big red machine. Hell, they bitched about uh, um, La Russa? No, what's his name in the 50s? Uh, Casey Stengel. Because he was the first guy to really use the bullpens in any sort of like major way. So. so whenever bullpens become in vogue and teams are squeaking out more wins by using it correctly, everybody loses their shit, and it's stupid. Before we go like, on... Just get used to it. We should talk about the guy that they also protected, um, Farisian. He was a guy who came in from the Yankees this year, and he was a guy that they were able to pluck from the Yankees because the Yankees needed to clear some 40-man space. And I think there's, there's a chance that he could actually be kind of good. Part of the deal with the Yankees is they have so many relievers that I think it's possible that a guy could have slipped through the cracks here. Do you like um, Farisian, JP? Actually, it's JP Farisian as well. He's, I don't know. I, I don't know much about him. So he is... A, okay, moving on. Yeah, 26-year-old right-hander. Uh, say, who, I know I, I can read his stat line, but like I don't know much about... I haven't seen a pitch, so I don't, I don't really know how I feel about him. It looks like he can miss some bats and isn't a huge walk machine, so... Well, we'll just have to wait and see on that one. So we do have a question from uh, Mark Pudscarby. Uh, he asks, if MLB implements the three-batter rule, is Claudio worth tendering? Also, looking back, would you still trade the draft pick for him? And this is relevant because they have to make a decision on him. What, by the end of the week? Uh, so it's December... Or by the end of the month. Yeah, it's like December 1st or 2nd, somewhere in there. Which where is kind of the same thing. Where they have to tender contracts to guys... And it would be really interesting to know if they're going to try to implement this three batter rule because it still is not a done deal. And we still I don't just know assume sure. that it was. It's not because ML, the union. So MLB is asserting that they can do this unilaterally, that they're allowed to under the CBA to do this unilaterally after one year of waiting because they put it out there last year. The union said no. They say, according to the CBA, we can do this. But MLB keeps saying we want this to be a, a, a consent thing. We want them to be on board with it. It's, it's nice of them to ask for consent. Yeah. So they, well, they don't for a lot of things. So anyway, they're trying to do that, but I don't know. It is legitimately really interesting because Claudio, I looked this up of his appearances this year, and he did have a lot of appearances. It was over 80. Um, something like in the thirties were two batters or fewer. Now, some of those may be exempted under this rule. If they, if he ends an inning, you're allowed to come out. You don't have to stay in there for three batters if an inning ends. But I don't know. Given those numbers, I'm not sure how useful he is because obviously he can't be used in that way anymore, right? So you would lose some of that usefulness 
which would mean you'd be forced to use him in ways that you didn't want to use him this year. So it is really an open question. I honestly am really torn on it. Yeah, I, JP, does Claudio pitch for the Brewers in 2020? I think so. Uh, I, I'm i not as worried about it just because of his, like his stuff in general. He relies on, on a changeup, which in general has given him reverse platoon splits in the past. So I'm not as worried about the fact that this past year he was worse against righties than, in left, than lefties. But in the past, he has actually shown that he could be quite good against righties, such as from 2015 to 2017, he, uh, you know, had an ERA under two and a half against righties for a long period of time. And he routinely was uh, being able to to miss just as many bats against uh, lefties as he was against righties. In 2015, he held him to a 192 average for example. Um, and so he has shown the ability to, to miss. And this is something we talked about prior to him being taken. Now, of course, would I suggest that, you know, he's an ideal guy that you would want to have to face righties? No. I mean, if they feel like they can, they can address uh, their bullpen in a different way that allows them to be able to do these things more efficiently then then maybe he gets non-tendered. I just think right now they're, they've got so many different, They've got so many different guys that they need to be able to go that they are so many different positions that they're going to try to retain as much talent as possible. And if they end up cutting him eventually, like then they end up cutting him eventually, like they can just eat the money and end up like waving him. Like it's not going to be that big of a deal if they tender him or not. They can just keep the they can keep the the internal position available and then they can move on from him as, as it goes. The one thing that I will say that kind of speaks to him potentially not pitching for the Brewers. I think if they continue to try to get every single person in their bullpen to be able to go multiple innings, then I don't think Claudio fits for that. Yeah, and getting to the second part of his question where he said, would you go back and do this again? I wouldn't now. I was iffy at the time. This definitely pushes me over to no, I would not have done that deal because part of the deal was you were getting him for three years of usefulness, and then pretty quickly after the deal was announced, they came out and said that these rules were going to change potentially. So I would not have done this deal knowing that that was the case. So I wouldn't do it now. Okay. Finally, last question. Uh, Brewers made a trade. They traded Andre Melendez to the Indians for infielder Mark Mathias. Is that where we're going with? It's probably Mathias, but Mathias. Yeah. Yeah, Mathias, yeah. Sorry, I'm a, I'm a couple deep. So, <laughs> anyways, we have a Jason Donlinger question on Patreon. Uh, is Matthias, what did we say? Matthias. Matthias. <laughs> Jesus Christ. Is Matthias a legit upgrade at utility uh, off the bench? Uh, reading on him and looking at his stats, he seems he should be better than my crush, Hernan Perez. Is, is, is he an upgrade over Perez? Or is he the new Hernan Perez for the Brewers? I, I don't... I mean, I don't know if he's an upgrade. I think the the funniest thing about Matthias is that I do uh, a podcast with with Mark Barry for Baseball Prospectus, and he's a he's a Cleveland fan. So I texted him and was just kind of asking him, you know, like, tell me about him. Should I be excited? Is this a good pickup? Like, what should I be expecting? And he's like, I have I have no idea who he is. So that was not a a, a fantastic introduction to to him in terms of who I am imagining Matthias could potentially be reading, doing a little bit of reading about him, kind of looking back at BP and kind of seeing it, that it sounds like he did have some folks. I think like Fangraph said, uh, I think prior to the 2018 season, 
that they had gotten like Joey Wendell comps on him, which Joey Wendell is actually uh, a pretty good player for the race who I like quite a bit. So that's kind of cool. But at the same time, I think he's somebody who's going to hit for no power. You're hoping he's going to be able to walk a little bit. In general, he's shown pretty big issues hitting for average over over an extended period of time in the minors, uh, and but can play multiple different positions. And so in general, it seems to me to be a little bit like your Corey Spangenberg kind of pickup. Yeah, I mean, it is interesting. He has not been a big strikeout guy. He really is a fairly decent walker. So the uh, strikeout to walk ratios are really pretty good. Uh, he did hit 12 home runs, but that was in the inflated ball AAA last year, though it was in Indianapolis and I, or sorry, Columbus. And I don't believe the International League is nearly as hitter friendly as the Pacific Coast League. Is that correct? The, uh, I mean, in past years, yes, but this past year, no, that's not true. Okay, so you you had, well, obviously because of the ball, you had a lot of that. It is interesting. He is a guy, it looks like he's very capable at uh, third base and second base and playable at shortstop. So that gives them the utility guy that they needed now that Hernan has moved on. And this, I doubt that this is like the only move that they will make to potentially address utility infielder this offseason. I really think they'll probably do something else as well. But this is a guy that they're hoping can be, like you said, Joey Wendell, a breakout guy later on in his career. He is, you know, he's only 25 years old this next year. So he's definitely not like over the hill or anything. There, there are possibilities here, but I wouldn't get too excited and expect necessarily anything out of him. I would say like, but I'm saying that they were putting kind of a Joey Wendell uh, comp on his uh, skill set. Um, Joey, Joey Wendell had uh, shown a lot more success over his minor league career than than somebody like uh, than somebody like Matthias. But I think it's it it feels to me like somebody that they uh, both like the, they like the makeup, they like the versatility, they like the fact he walks a little bit, they like the fact that they can. I, I think he's probably got options left uh, now that he's on on the forty man roster, but. Um, yeah, it'll be interesting to see. It, it, it seems to me like to be AAA depth. Yeah, he was never on the 40-man before this. So he has three option years, which you know how the Brewers like to do things. That is massive for them. Yeah. So, okay, we're going to wrap this thing up because we're going long for for a November podcast. We're, we're uh, definitely pushing our time limit here. So, uh, JP, we have a few new patrons this week. If you want to give them a shout-out, we have one. It's a, a junior Red, Redcliffe. Uh, Junior Radcliffe. Radcliffe. Yeah. And Jeremy Moen, PJ Wessels. Shout out to everybody. Uh, PJ has been, uh, I know that both Jeremy and PJ have given a bunch of questions to the podcast in the past. Uh, in the past. Happy to have you aboard. Hope you like the, the midweek podcast coming out for the Packers and the minor league extras and all of that stuff. Thrilled to have you aboard. Welcome. Uh, JR Radcliffe, you know. Whatever. Hi. If you want to listen, that's fine. Yeah. So, okay. But yeah, again, we appreciate everybody who uh, subscribes as a patron. Um, and hopefully you enjoy the content that keeps coming out. Again, we have the minor league extra. And then also the guys at reporting is eligible. Paul does the weekly uh, Packer preview. So definitely check those out. They're pretty good. And even the bye week was a fun one. Yeah, the bye week was a fun one. We talked about it before, but yeah, doing the uh, the recap of the, what was it, the 99? 99, yeah. Yeah, the, the final week of 1999. 
um, was a fun one to listen to. So remember, you can join our Patreon by visiting patreon.com slash tailgate. Patrons at the ball, glove level, and above, above receive both the Minor League Extra podcast and the Reporting is Eligible weekly package preview. As always, follow us on Twitter at tailgate. You can submit questions to milwaukees.tailgate at gmail.com or through our Facebook page for Milwaukee's Tailgate Podcast Network. Don't forget to subscribe to the podcast on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, Stitcher, Overcast, Pocket Casts, and wherever else you listen to podcasts. Leave reviews. It helps people find the podcast, and we really appreciate it. Uh, so thanks for listening, and look for us again in two weeks. We're going to take off on uh, the Thanksgiving weekend. Yep, and again, no spoilers for my brother, so nobody put anything on Twitter about it. I'm sure there's so many spoilers you'd run into. Oh, he follows a lot of people who listen to this podcast. So, yeah, no spoilers. Don't put anything out there. All 10 of them. Yeah. <laughs> so, yeah, don't don't spoil anything to Ryan's brother. But uh, keep listening. Again, look for us in two weeks uh, on Milwaukee's Tailgate.